How crazy is the real estate world right now? Super crazy, which means you need someone that's someone being a real estate agent to help you navigate whether you're buying or selling. I've got just the person for you. In fact, she is the best in Denver and has been for a number of years. Anne Dresser Coker. She's with Liv Sotheby's. She's reachable at 303-229-6464. That's 303-229-6464. Or you can visit her website at Anne, that's with an E, Dresser. Dot com and dresser.com. She is outstanding. I've used her on several occasions and she's consistently ranked number one in Denver in production. And the reason being is not singular. There's multiple reasons. But the, the bottom line is she has a passion for what she does. She loves working with people, getting them in the right home, finding the right home for them, or getting the best sale price for a home. Uh, as I said, she has been number one at Liv Sotheby's International Realty. She's the number one top individual producer in the Denver Metro Association of Realtors. So it's not something I'm making up. I'm not embellishing. She truly is number one. And if you want to get involved, just give her a call, 303-229-6464, because the real estate market is crazy. 303-229-6464. That's Ann Dresser Coker at Liv Sotheby's. I know it doesn't feel like spring. Heck, it feels like we live in uh, Antarctica or Nome, Alaska right now. But we know that spring is around the corner. In fact, it doesn't matter what season that you may need help in your yard, clearing out uh, the garage, or any other type of activity to make your house look pristine and the property around it look pristine. You need steel, steel products, S-T-I-H-L. Go find uh, the myriad of great products they have, battery-operated, gas-operated, and uh, electric as well. That is SteelUSA.com, S-T-I-H-L. Been involved with them for several years. I have a number of their products. They're terrific. I was just visiting with them down at the Home and Garden Show, which was a lot of fun, by the way. And they, they always have new products out there. They had one that really intrigued me. You know, I, I used to spend a lot of money every few years getting branches clipped on, on uh, you know, high up on trees. And it, that ain't cheap, man, whoever you're hiring. They have this product that has an extension on it that goes up to like 13, 15 feet with a power saw at the end of it, you can do a lot of that stuff yourself. Just make sure you wear a hard hat and you're not having a branch land on your head. All kinds of great products, uh, you know, blowers, trimmers, saws, a ton of chainsaws. You know the deal. Steel, S-T-I-H-L, steelusa.com, steeldealers.com, more than 10,000 dealers in the country. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, CU Buffs head basketball coach Ted Boyle talking about his young team. This team has really grown up kind of before our eyes. Really, it's been Evan Batty and, and a bunch of freshmen and sophomores that these guys have learned some tough lessons, but uh, they're, they're playing their best basketball. They really, really enjoy, truly enjoy each other. And the incident involving Michigan basketball coach Jawan Howard. Drew, I was shocked and disappointed. It really, really angers me when I hear talking heads talk about getting rid of handshake lines. And we should be like the NBA. I, I, I couldn't disagree with that more. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. 
Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 137 on the old Drew Goodman podcast, and uh, we appreciate you being a regular listener and uh, also telling your friends and uh, acquaintances and maybe even enemies about our little uh, weekly podcast and our weekly interview as well. Tad Boyle coming up, as you heard from Marky in, uh, in a few moments. I was on the DNVR podcast. Well, I'm on every week with, with Patrick Lyons on the on the DNVR Rockies podcast. They do five a week. Download their stuff. Great stuff. And, and they cover every sport at DNVR. Uh, so uh, make, make sure you're downloading their stuff. But we were talking about when the Rockies first began and, and how they spent almost two decades in Tucson at High Corbett Field, which kind of a legendary complex. It's been refurbished as it's now the home of the University of Arizona in baseball. And we're, we're talking about old stories. And uh, it reminded me of one of the first times I was down in Tucson for spring training. And I was talking to Todd Helton about, I don't know, eating places. And he goes, you got to check out this place, Daisy Mays. Great grilled food, great grilled wings, best grilled wings I've ever had. They do it in an outdoor fire pit and it's awesome. And I was like, all right, man, I'm in. I'll, I'll, I'll go there tonight. And this is before MapQuest and, and Waze. And uh, I asked him for directions. So he, you know, he gave me directions and from High Corbett, that area, it was about, as I, you know, it's about a 20 minute drive. And you go through downtown Tucson, and then you're going out past uh, Pima Community College. Well, all of a sudden, it's it the road after Pima, it's getting really dark. I don't see lights ahead, certainly don't see any sort of commerce. And I'm like, you know what? Helton, who uh, was a notorious practical joker, said he got me. He got my ass. You know, there's no restaurant out here. This is I'm, I'm headed toward oblivion. So up ahead, I could I could see a little like kind of a driveway on the left, and I said, "All right, I'll turn in there and, and make a U-turn and, and head back and try to find another restaurant, and I'll bust his rocks tomorrow." Well, I turn into that street. It's not it wasn't a street; it was a driveway on my left, and there's a little sign there. It says Daisy Mays. So he wasn't bullshitting me after all, and and, and that's how I found Daisy Mays, and. When my family would come down, we always had to go to Daisy Mays at least twice. Aaron Cook used to be behind the the bar like on a nately basis. Uh, it, it's a legendary spot, and that was one of my fondest memories of times in Tucson. There were a lot of good times, but uh, as I said to Patrick Lyons on the podcast on the DNBR podcast the other day, the Rockies truly um, is, is much fun. And, and there's great nostalgia to those days at High Corbett in Tucson. They went from the outhouse to the penthouse when they built uh, the facility that they enjoy now in North Scottsdale because Salt River Fields is exquisite. But anyhow, I was, I was thinking of that story, and I thought I would regurgitate it here on my own podcast. All right, baseball, at least as of this taping on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I guess the, the good news is they continue to meet on a daily basis, albeit for not long periods of time, they got to figure it out. You and I both know that. And, uh, that, you know, that's all I can say. Very frustrating from, from afar. They've got to figure it out. You know they're going to figure it out at some point. You just don't want to see lost games. It's really a staring contest uh, right now. It's a game of chicken right now. Figure it out. Biggest news of the week on a national sports story was in college basketball. And 
that was a Juwan Howard situation. It was a very ugly post-game deal during the handshake line between Michigan, which lost uh, by double digits to Wisconsin. And evidently, in the last 15 seconds, Coach Guard at Wisconsin had called the timeout. Now, he's got you know, walk-ons and end-of-the-bench players in, and they were having trouble getting it across half court against a Michigan press. And so he called timeout, which resets the 10-second clock to get it across half court. And afterward, it looked like he tried to stop Juwan Howard by putting his hand on his arm to, I would assume, explain why he called timeout. Well, Juwan Howard, who's hot, post-game, team got beat by double digits, uh, wanted nothing of that conversation. We've all seen the video. It escalated, escalated from there. Um, and a few moments later, Juwan Howard kind of took an open-hand shot at an assistant coach for Wisconsin. As the two of them continue to have words, we told you Juwan Howard was not happy about that timeout. Can't do it. Cannot have it. Can't do it. Um, I felt at the time, and I'm, I'm reading from some notes that I took right after that, that you, you need to suspend Juwan Howard for a significant period. I said in my notes, do not fire him. Let's not have an overreaction. And they did suspend him for a significant period of time, five games in college basketball. You know, that's, that's a significant period. It's the rest of the regular season uh, for the university of Michigan, a team that by the way, was great last year. And I know Juwan Howard um, won, uh, I, I think several coach of the year honors uh, a year ago. Don't know Juwan Howard knew him a little bit when he briefly played for the nuggets and I was doing the nuggets uh, you know, it, it, he's a guy that has a great reputation handling himself with class, uh, et cetera. We all know, I don't care who you are. I don't care how mild-mannered you may appear. When you are a, in a competitive environment and things don't go your way, you can get hot. It's why there's always a cooling-off period before the media, when they had access to locker rooms, and hopefully they will again, could go in. It's why there's a cooling off period before the coach meets the media. So you don't say something that you regret. In this case, as I said, the suspension was warranted. You can't take a swing at someone. Cannot. Cannot do that. Juwan Howard was upset at the timeout or the, the, the two timeouts. Juwan Howard was also, the game's over, man. There's there's a handful of seconds left. Juwan Howard was also pressing. So when he said, I didn't like that they called the timeout, why the hell are you pressing? The game's over. You know what? Take your medicine. We've all been there. Anybody who competes has been there. You win, you lose, you win some, you lose some. That's the nature of athletics. And you're going to be disappointed when you lose. But you know what? You got to wear it. We say that in sports. You have to be accountable. Every coach in America at every level wants accountability from their players. They want their players to handle adversity, to keep their composure. You're the leader of the team, and you did not keep your composure. Now, one of the sidebar elements of this in the natural overreaction to everything that transpires in life these days 
was people who suggested, and I saw even people within the sport, not a lot, but a couple, that said they should get rid of the handshake line. Are you freaking kidding me? Are you kidding me? One incident, and we shouldn't show good sportsmanship and line up after battling for a couple hours and shake hands. Even if you got into it with another player, that's how athletics and really life should work. You should be able to have a healthy debate and be able to shake hands and move on. You should be able to compete your ass off and shake hands, win, lose, or draw, and move on. The best example of that in athletics and one of the great aspects of professional sports for me is in the Stanley Cup playoffs. After two teams, oftentimes in a seven-game series, literally, literally beat the shit out of each other, and then they line up and they shake hands. So if they can do it in the NHL playoffs, they sure as heck can do it in college basketball, and they need to continue to do it in college basketball, suggesting because there was this dust-up, and I'm not trying to sweep it under the rug, it was wrong. Juwan Howard was wrong. But to suggest that now you, you can't have a lineup of, of kids and, and men shaking hands after a game, or if it was a ladies' game, having the ladies shake hands after a game, that, that to me is, is ridiculous. And I think it will fall on deaf ears. Moving on to hockey, since I mentioned uh, hockey here a moment ago, the Avalanche have been so much fun to watch. I've talked about it uh, quite a bit on this podcast. They're a blast to watch. And and the stretch they went through uh, till, as of this taping, the game in Beantown, the afternoon game on Monday on President's Day, in which they did not play well. So really their first lackluster performance in about three months since the opening couple of weeks of the season, basically. Uh, they've been otherworldly. I mean, so much fun. And on the times they've fallen behind, they come storming back. Uh, they have, you know, such a talent-laden roster. But there's one issue that I've mentioned before on this podcast, and, and folks that followed the Avalanche are aware of this. It's not like it's not talked about elsewhere. They're dead last. DFL in the NHL in face-off percentage. That is important when you're playing... Typically, one goal games, low scoring games in the postseason. You got to win draws. You have to win draws in your own end. You have to win draws to maintain puck possession in the offensive end. I remember many years ago, the Avalanche were struggling in that department and they made kind of a low key move and, and picked up Dave Hannon, who was probably a third line forward, but he was really good on draws. The Avalanche have to address that. And I imagine they will because Joe Sackick has proved to be, uh, I don't want to say as brilliant as a GM as he was as a player because the bar is really high that he set as a player, one of the all-time greats, Hall of Famer, but he's done a hell of a job as a GM as well. And I think he'll be influenced also by the guy that he played for. The late, and I think we can say great, GM Pierre Lacroix, who was a former agent. And, and you remember those days with the Avalanche. It didn't matter how great the Avalanche roster was. And typically back in the, in the mid to late 90s into the first part of the 21st or 20, uh, 21st century, th their roster was ridiculously good, as it is now. But he still made the big move. 
he still made the move for the biggest name out there. It seemed like every year you're like, yep, the Avalanche are going to end up. Here comes Rob Blake, right? I mean, here comes Theo Fleury. It just uh, it just always seemed to work out. So I would imagine that there's going to be a very good forward, some way, shape, or form, even with the salary cap issues, that's going to be donning an Avalanche sweater here before the trade deadline. Talking college basketball uh, this week, and it's been a blast. I've done a lot on Colorado State, and as we, again, tape this today, they're playing a huge game in front of another sellout at Moby Arena against Wyoming. That was a hell of a game up at the AA in Laramie a couple of weeks ago. Wyoming wins in overtime. It's going to be great theater again tonight. Both of those teams are locked to be in the NCAA tournament. The Mountain West enjoying a great year. They should have four teams, uh, Boise State, San Diego State, uh, hopefully, uh, as well. Uh, But basketball is alive. College basketball is alive and well in the Rocky Mountain region. And... CU has really come on of late, which is not a surprise for anyone that follows the University of Colorado under Tad Boyle. His teams get better. His teams get better, and the one he has right now is a very young team. So you knew that team was going to get better. And they're starting to put together a number of wins, and uh, let's see where it takes them over the next few weeks. But I thought it would be appropriate to have Tad on and talk about his young team and also talk about what I was just discussing, that incident uh, in the uh, post-game handshake line between Michigan and Wisconsin. So that's a setup for our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. It's a guy I have great respect and admiration for the longtime and very successful head coach of the CU men on the hard court, Colorado native Tad Boyle. All right, is it safe to say, as we tape this with Arizona State on the horizon and then uh, the number two ranked Wildcats coming to town, that you're playing your best basketball with the young team? Yeah, absolutely, Drew, we are. I mean, we've uh, this, this, this team has really grown up kind of before our eyes. We've you know, we had two seniors going into the season, Evan Batty and Eli Parquet, that were, that were helping us you know, in terms of uh, minutes played. And we lost Eli a few weeks ago to a season-ending foot injury. And so, really, it's been Evan Batty and, and a bunch of freshmen and sophomores that have kind of paved the way. And, and you know, we've we've had some tough losses, and these guys have learned some tough lessons. But, uh, boy, they're rounding into shape. And, and, and this team, you know, from a leadership standpoint, Evan's done a fantastic job as our lone senior. And the young guys have really started to believe in him and the messages that have been being sent. and. Uh, they're playing their best basketball. They really, really enjoy, truly enjoy each other. You know, you hear coaches say that or players say that, but this team really is uh, very well connected, both on the court and off the court. Which makes it easier, obviously. Chemistry is something, um, you know, that's spoken about, but you, it's hard to create chemistry. And, and they, they seemingly have it, even even from someone who sits – from afar, when when you watch them interact, whether it be the layup line beforehand, uh, the, the times I've seen them in shoot-arounds or practice, it, it does seem like they really do, you know, they like each other. They do. And, 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 you know, the other thing that helps, Drew, as you know, you know, I've always been about trying to build a program, not trying to build a team, you know, year in and year out. And, and um, you know, when you have a program, you've got multiple guys in it. you got young guys that are redshirting. Um, 
and, and sitting out waiting their turn. But, uh, you know, we've, we're down to basically an eight-man rotation right now because of our injuries. Lost Lovering is done for the year with his MCL. Eli's out with his foot. So really that, that ninth and tenth man who usually are there and not that they're bad kids or bad influences, but they want to be playing. Well, we don't even have that right now because after eight, we've got, we've got walk-ons. And so all, all guys know they're going to play. And, and when you have that, it really, it really even cements the chemistry even that much more. Was it the great, I, I know how big a baseball fan you are. Was it, was it the late great Casey Stengel who said the key to managing is keeping the five guys who hate you away from the five guys who haven't made up their mind yet? <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And those guys that are the ninth and tenth guy, you know, uh, they haven't made up their mind yet, and the other guys are like, "Oh, he's never going to play yet," you know. So, it's uh, no, that's that's really well said. And and you know, the other thing, as I would say, is we're getting really good production from our bench. And you know, you look at our stat sheet, or you look at you know uh, the box score after game, you don't see uh, all the things that Julian Hammond brings to the table. You don't see all the things that Luke O'Brien uh, brings to the table. Those two guys. You know, again, another baseball analogy. When I was an assistant at Wichita State, Drew, and I think I've shared this with you before, one of the things I got from our baseball program there was they, they said you always need program guys. You know, you need program guys. And, and that's what those guys, they're, they're really good program guys. You know they're probably going to be in college for four years. Because our sport is, you know, we're going through a lot of <laughs> uh, things that are kind of picking and and and, and – trying to damage, you know, what college basketball is all about. And when I look at guys like Julian Hammond and Luke O'Brien and what they bring, to me that's what college basketball is all about. Your homegrown guys are playing for, you know, their home state university that are making great contributions. Yeah, and I, I was talking to Jay Norvell up the road about this and, and some other coaches recently. Um, you almost, I don't know if it's, you're always recruiting your guys still. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, uh, but, you know, guys can up and leave. And the transfer portal is, is so prevalent, in, in the, especially in the two revenue sports, football and men's basketball. Do you feel you're any different, Tad, in the last couple of years because of that? No. Uh, I think kids still want to be coached. I think you still have to have great relationships with your players. If you're going to have a – a team that responds to you as a coach, you you know, there's the old saying, you know, kids don't uh, uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care. Like, your, your players have to know that you truly care about them. You're trying to make them better. It uh, doesn't mean you can't yell at them. You can't get after them a little bit. Because um, if you can't do that, you can't coach them. So um, we, got, we have great kids in our program. And so it has not changed me. But what has changed is the realization that these kids could leave you know, at at any moment for any reason, and you couple that with the name, image, and likeness likeness legislation that's out there that's really changing the landscape of college basketball. You put those two things together, and that's where that's where things get challenging. Yeah, you know, last year, last couple of years, numer I had numerous conversations with you about McKinley Wright, and obviously everyone who, whether they were broadcasting a game or they were a beat writer, um, wanted to ask you about McKinley and and all the things that made him unique beyond, uh, you know, fine ability on the floor. Evan Batty 
I, I, you told me last year, and, and if you told me, you've told many people this, that McKinley writes almost like a, a once in a coaching career type of a guy, given that he's a point guard. Um, Evan Batty, to me, same different position, obviously, but same, I mean, character, everything that kid brings. What a joy to be around him. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, McKinley, what made him so special was his competitiveness, his desire to win. And it's not that Evan doesn't have those things, but, you know, Evan's got that ability off the floor to really adapt to any situation. I mean, he is, uh, he's as comfortable in the locker room as he is in the media conference or media, uh, you know, press conference. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's on campus. I mean, you know, people called Spencer Dinwiddie when he was here, the mayor, and, and I, was, I said, if Spencer was a mayor, then, then Evan's the governor, because uh, he's a couple notches above that. I mean, he just is a guy that everybody, they know who he is. He doesn't have a bad day. and If he does, he certainly doesn't show it. And uh, he's been through so much, you know, with the stroke his freshman year. Uh, that's pretty well documented, and, and uh, uh, he's a – I feel like, you know, McKinley was a once in a lifetime player, and I feel like Evan is too for, for slightly different reasons. Yeah, I, I figured you were going to say that. And he literally, he brightens up a room. I don't, I don't see him very frequently unless I'm up, you know, working one of your games. And he just has that beautiful smile and, um, and an infectious personality. Whatever he does in life, he's going to be a winner, which is, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, that's, that's what it's about. Uh, but you know what? If I was hiring people, I'd hire that kid in a, in a New York minute, man. He's great. Yeah, and he's, he's he's had offers. I've I've actually been approached by you know CEOs of of, of companies uh, in, in Colorado that say, hey, let me know when that kid's done playing, and you know if he wants a job, we're we're looking for guys like him. So uh, Evan's not going to be short of opportunities in his life, and and he's going to do it because of his personality, because of his demeanor, and. You know, he's getting a, a degree from the top 50 university in the world. Yeah, good for him. Good for him. Hey, you know who seems like he keeps growing and, and gosh knows how talented he is. And I, I think he, he got everybody's attention really nationally because of what he did, especially in the, in the opening round game against Georgetown in the tournament last year. And that's Jabari Walker. And, and when I watch you guys... As opposed to one, you know, really good game and then one okay game, or boy, I haven't noticed Jabari much tonight. It seems like the um, the performance is a lot more consistent, and and also the W's obviously of late have been far more consistent. Yeah, he's really coming into his own, Drew, and you know, development. You know, there's no fast forward button, you know, on the remote when it comes to developing as a college basketball player. Yeah. You have to do it by experiencing it and experiencing maybe some some ups and then some downs and, and learning from you know the the, the things that uh, happen when you're not performing at the level you expect to and, and Jabari's done a tremendous job of that you know through this sophomore year you know his freshman year he was a role player he came in he was kind of a catch and shoot three point shooter spread the floor obviously he made the five three against Georgetown that you alluded to opened people's eyes but. You know, we said, listen, Jabari, next next year, being this year, you know, you're going to be one of our focal points. The scouting reports are not going to be designed to stop you. You know, last year they were designed to stop McKinley and Deshaun and you know, Dallas and Jariah and uh, some of our seniors. I said, but now they're going to be geared towards you. And, and he's really handled that well. 
and uh, he continues to develop. He's not done developing. I mean, he's 19 years old, Drew, and uh, but he's, he leads our conference like by a lot in double doubles. I think he's got 14 double doubles, and I think the next closest guy is seven. So his consistency has been there in terms of rebounding and scoring the ball, and and uh, continues to become a better passer and. Uh, as, as, as defense is key on him, and I'm uh, really pleased with his development. Well, one of the things when you have a guy and you, and you recruited as well as you have, Tad, and developed them as you have, um, every once in a while you're going to have that kid that may have an opportunity to leave early. I, you know, we've had this discussion before. What, what you know, and, and I know you will, because you've told me this, that, you know, if you think it's the best move, that even though you'd love to have a kid for an extra year, but if you feel like, hey, man, you're going to go in the first round of the NBA and that's life-changing money, go. What's your feel right now for Jabari? What are you hearing and what's your feel? You know, it's, I think uh, a lot of it will depend on how we finish out here. And You know, I always say every decision I make, Drew, between the months of, of October 1 through the middle of March or whenever our season ends is with the team's best interest at heart. So every decision I'm making today and tomorrow and Thursday night during the game and Saturday during the game. How do we, how do we help Colorado win and, and be successful? What's best for the team? You know, uh, sometimes that's contradictory to what's best for an individual player, you know, um, but when the season's over with, the, the, the tables turn and it's now, it's now not, not what's best for our team program. What's best for each individual player in our program? Is it to come back? Is it to leave and go pro? Is it to go overseas? Is it to, uh, transfer, you know, I mean, those are conversations that, that we'll have and, and it'll be a two way conversation because Jabari and his family and people care about him and love him, uh, are going to want what's best for him and, and we are too. So whatever that is, whatever Jabari decides that is, we're going to support him. Um, but I'm telling you, Drew, you know, you think about college basketball relative to football and relative to baseball, which is a sport you're, you know, pretty familiar with. Football and baseball, because of the collective bargaining agreements in those professional sports, kids have to decide whether, you know, baseball, are you, you can go pro or go to college. If you go to college, you're there till you're a junior. NFL, there is no going pro early. You're going to college until you're a junior, and then if you want to leave, you can leave. Basketball is totally different. I mean, because we have these, you know, overtime elite, which is taking kids out of high school now, and basically working them out and training them for a year to get them ready for the NBA draft. You know, I think you get 25 to 28 kids in that program right now that would normally be playing college basketball. Then you have, you know, the two-way contracts that the NBA has. Every team's got two of them. Uh, that's 60 kids that a lot of them leave early. Tyler Bay, two years ago, is an example for us, leaves Least Colorado isn't on a two-way contract with the Dallas Mavericks, and that takes kids out of college basketball. Uh, you got kids that want to go play in Australia or play, you know, in Italy or overseas. So we've got a lot of competing factors with the players that we're coaching and and recruiting that make it really really difficult to uh, maintain a roster, and then. You add the name, image, likeness, and transfer pool that we just talked about. A lot of challenges at our at our doorstep. A lot of yeah. challenges that we have to navigate every single year. One of the things that you've navigated well, and because of your great success, I would 
venture to uh, guess that you are more consistently getting in better homes than you did 10 or 12 years ago. I mean, last year you had a consensus top, you know, 10, 12, 13 class in the country. And you know, as you know, Tad, I've been in this town for a long time. That wasn't happening at Colorado. I mean, when you were talking about recruiting in basketball, you know, here and there, you, you got a real good player. But now to put the classes together that you're starting to put together, have you noticed uh, a, a big difference when you're out on the recruiting trail? We, we are. I think we are. We're, we're in conversations that we weren't in before. We're in homes we weren't in before. But again, it's, it's about getting the right kids that want to be here for the right reasons. And, and that's really what I'm trying to concentrate on because you got to know who you are. You know, as a coach, you got to know who you are as an institution at the University of Colorado. Uh, you got to recruit kids that you think can really thrive and enjoy uh, Boulder, Colorado, uh, which is not hard to do because it's a it's a great place to live and go to school. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's but it's getting it's not about the kids you don't get; it's about the kids you do get. And uh, our staff's done a pretty darn good job of evaluating, you know, guys like Jabari Walker. You know, that weren't Jabari was recruited, but he wasn't, I wouldn't say highly, highly recruited. But, you know, we did a good job of evaluating. Our, my assistant coaches have a lot of experience and have a lot of connections throughout the country, and as I do as well. And it's about finding the right guys, and we've been able to do that. We, we hopefully can continue to do that, Drew. What's realistic, Chad, is, is you and I tape this. Uh, you have Arizona State coming up. Um, you know, you, I'm sure everybody's going to say, hey, that's a trap game. You, you beat Arizona State uh, pretty good down in Tempe. They've played better of late. Um, and then you have, of course, the U of A coming in. Uh, what, what is realistic with this young team going forward over the next uh, few weeks leading into the conference tournament and hopefully, you know, beyond? I think we got a chance to win every game we play. Uh, some of them are going to be harder than others. They're all, none of them are going to be easy. We know that. You know, this young team, you know, and again, I, I look for uh, areas of growth, areas of maturity. And to me, I go back to uh, two, three weeks ago when we were on the Oregon, Washington, Washington State three game road trip. We beat Oregon on the front end. We lose to Washington, lose to Washington State. Now, we didn't have Tristan da Silva. And those two losses due to COVID, and uh, that, that's a, that was a big blow to our team. But one of the things we talked about is, guys, okay, we beat Washington at home, we beat Washington State at home, then we go on the road and we let them beat us. And so then we come back and we're getting ready to play Oregon State, and the same, you know, same situation, you know, Oregon State, you know, um, we beat them. Now we're on the road, Stanford. We beat them at home back in November. Uh, now we got them on the road. Like, and we beat both those teams back to back. So that's going to be the challenge with Arizona State. We beat them at their place. Now, guess what? We did the same thing to Oregon. We beat Oregon at Oregon. They came in and beat us here. We can't let that happen. So our, our team has really responded to that, Drew, and have, they've changed in terms of how they prepare, how they mentally get ready for those games. And, and again, that Washington trip helped. Uh, helped us learn that 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 uh, invaluable lesson. 
More with Tad Boyle, the head basketball coach at the University of Colorado in a moment. But first this for my friends at Ideal Home Loans. Ideal Home Loans has been in business for more than 20 years. In fact, earlier today, I was talking to Brent Ivinson, who started the company. And they're, they're not only thriving here in Colorado, but also down in Arizona. It's a crazy period. We are talking about Ann Dresser earlier and real estate. Well, you know, rates have gone up a little bit. Uh, finding homes is really tough at this point in time. Uh, just like on the real estate side, when you are going to make financial decisions, mortgages, lending, anything along those lines, you need an expert. You need somebody who's going to put you in the best product. That is Ideal Home Loans. Give them a call at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000, and they're going to listen, and they're going to help put you, as I said, in the best possible position to save money. And isn't that what it's all about at the end of the day? Again, it's Ideal Home Loans, Brent Ivinson's great team, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, 303-867-7000, Ideal Home Loans. Had my boy's coffee this morning, got me going. It's the original legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster, Aspen Gold. That's my go-to in the morning. Good stuff, man. And uh, they've been brewing coffee daily since 1965 in our parts. And they deliver them uh, on a regular basis, obviously, to stores. But you can have them delivered to your front door. I've told you this. That's how I like to get it done. So you just go to boyerscoffee.com, make a couple of clicks, choose what you want, and you'll have it at your front door in less than 48 hours, typically. They're the proud coffee partner of the Colorado Rockies. Uh, they're environmentally conscious, and they have been a great member of our community for now several generations. Again, started, as I mentioned, back in 1965. They always have food truck promotions up at 73rd and Washington. So if you're up in that area, you can go by and check things out as well. They always have uh, great specials. So just hit their website periodically to find out what kind of promotions are going on. That's Boyer's Coffee, boyerscoffee.com. Now back to more with Tad Boyle from the University of Colorado. You know, it's been fun this year. Uh, uh, you know, you're, you're obviously, I, I know you follow a, a ton of college basketball. You're focused on, on your team naturally and the, and the Pac-12 and your upcoming opponents. But in our little area of the world, if you will, the I-25 corridor, uh, you know, even New Mexico down the road's dangerous. Wyoming's having a great year. Um, you know, a friend of yours up in Fort Collins and Nico Medved's having a, having a terrific year. Um, you know, even Air Force, Joe Scott. I mean, you got to be ready to play when you play Air Force. Basketball's different from football in that, you know, football, you're going to have four non-conference. Basketball, uh, what's your take on going forward? You've been really good about playing some of the area schools. Um, is it, is it helping indirectly at your program that, that the schools around you are also playing at a high level? I don't know if it helps us. Uh, I think the one thing hopefully it does is it helps bring some more attention to college basketball. You know, you and I both know, Drew, I mean, Denver is a pro sports town. I mean, I don't think that's a, a secret, you know, that's out there. That's, 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 you know, people don't realize. Um, I, so I think when Colorado State's good and Wyoming's having a great year and even, you know, Denver when Joe Scott was at DU and, and, uh, and what he'll do at Air Force, Northern Colorado where I was, I think anytime you can have successful college basketball programs in the same area or in the same state, 
it's 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 helpful to everybody. Not necessarily because it's going to help us win games, but it's going to hopefully generate excitement and get people excited about going out to a game and and taking the family to the event center to to see you know Evan Batty you know on his on his last weekend or that sort of thing. You know David Roddy and and, and Isaiah Stevens up at Colorado State. Those two two of the best basketball players in the state you know this year. Um, terrific players who could play anywhere in the country. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's neat to see other people have success. And Jeff Linder's done a great job at Wyoming. Obviously, he was at Northern Colorado where I coached and I followed his career. So it's, it's, it's nice to see other people. Uh, and, and, and it's nice to feel like, you know, you don't have to carry the flag every single game, every single, you know, year, uh, for this area. And, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of those guys' success. Yeah, I just think it's good for the, you know, as opposed to, oh, the best basketball, so, you know, only played on the East Coast or the West Coast. And when you see a multitude of teams in that mountain time zone, you know, even even up the road, a, a very close friend of yours, Leon Rice at Boise State, I mean, they have a heck of a team. And I, I just think it's good as a college basketball fan and being partial to where you and I live, I, I like to see the fact that there's a lot of good football played in the mountain states. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, and the mountain West conference, you know, I think every conference has cycles, you know, you know, we had a, a couple of years ago, we had seven teams in the pac 12 in the NCAA tournament. You know, last year we had five and, you know, I think everybody, but us went to at least the sweet 16, Oregon state went to elite eight. And this year, the mountain West, you know, they are loaded. I mean, they got really good teams, really good programs. Again, it gets back to, you know, some of those programs are having success with guys who are program guys who are, you know, have been there three or four years, and that's how kind of we've we built our program. And sometimes if, you know, if we lose Jabari Walker this year, you know, it's a blow to our team. But if you can keep a guy like that around for three or four years, man, you can have a lot of success. And that's what's happening at Wyoming and Colorado State and, 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 and programs like that. Yeah. Hey, Ted, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about what just happened uh, a couple of days ago uh, in the, at the uh, conclusion of the Michigan-Wisconsin game. How let me if, how shocked were you in, in initially at that? Or maybe you were in it all because, you know, listen, you're in a competitive environment and and uh, things sometimes happen, if you will. What was your take, your initial uh, thought on that? I think like most people, Drew, I was shocked and disappointed. Um, it, it really, really angers me when I hear talking heads, you know, uh, talk about getting rid of handshake lines and we should be like the NBA. I, I couldn't disagree with that more. You know, we all know what we signed up for. We all know there's a lot of pressure on coaches and players. You know, there's there's competitive environments. There has been for years and years and years. So, you know, to uh, – to handle yourself after a win and after a loss, you know, the same way is 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 easier said than done. You know, I've been I've been as mad as anybody as I'm, I'm as competitive as anybody out there in terms of wanting to win. But I think sportsmanship and learning how to lose with with dignity and and also win with dignity and and not rubbing it in and that sort of thing is something that's really important. And it's and it's important that our the, the the young men and women that are playing these competitive games understand that because that's uh that's how you need to handle yourself in my opinion and I don't think anybody would condone you know what happened um obviously there's discipline that came down because of it but uh it was disappointing without a doubt but hopefully we can uh, we can all learn from it 
and uh, and and not let you know actions like that happen because it's it's a black eye on the sport when it happens. On those occasions, Tad, and, and I'm not going to specify, and I, I, <laughs> I think anybody that that knows you and has been around the program could point to, you know, one or two. I'll, I'll avoid that here, but I will say. Um, uh, are you as competitive as you are and as fiery as you can be? Will you just, at the end of those situations in the handshake line, and by the way, I, I went off earlier on, I, I couldn't agree more with what you said. I mean, people who, you know, everything, one thing happens and everybody wants to get rid of everything, and that's ridiculous with the handshake line. But anyhow, um, have you, are, are you usually the one to say, you know what, I'm just going to bite my tongue here, file it away, as opposed to verbally making mention of it as you pass by what what has been how you handle that bite my tongue uh because okay. again emotions run high and 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 drew i'll take it a step further you know uh and i, I try every year to try to continue to get better as a coach and grow and learn I, I read one of dean smith's books uh and this has been probably 10 maybe 10 11 years ago i can't i lose track of the time right but you know, in his in one of his books that he, he wrote, he said, "I never spoke to our team very long after a win or a loss, and I never I was very slow to congratulate and say great job, and I was very slow to yell and scream and tell them what they did wrong, because I always wanted to give myself a night to sleep, to watch the film, and then come the next day, and that's when I would say what I needed to have." He said, after the game, it's pure emotion. And I really learned from that. And, he, and he's so, he was so right because you're so charged up, you know, after a win or after a loss that you say things that may not be true. And so you want to go home and, and sleep on it and watch the film, and then you come in the next day. And guess what? If you need to come in the next day and light your team up, come in and light your team up. <laughs> You know, and same thing in these situations. If if I've got an issue with an opposing coach um, and I sleep on it and I still feel the same way the next day, I need to get up, pick up the phone and have a conversation. But if I do it after a game, it's going to be emotionally charged and it needs to be, to me, more rational and and uh, let, let your cooler heads prevail. And, you know, nine times out of ten, you're like, okay, I probably was would have overreacted. I don't want to speak for Juwan Howard or, or or any of that, but uh, my guess is maybe he feels the same way. I don't I don't know, but I know I felt like that many many times. Like I'm glad I didn't say anything because I was it was the heat of the moment, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That, that I think anybody that's competed before understands that. Have you ever done that though, Tad? The the next day, go, you know, this bugging the shit out of me, and pick up the phone and and had a conversation with a coach. Yeah, and, and it is. And it was it was more it was it was it was with a with a coach it was a recruiting situation actually where you know it was when I was at UNC and uh, something happened after the game we actually had a recruit in you know and and he and his staff were talking to the recruit after the game because they were recruiting him too right and it was a clear violation of NCAA rules and it it really pissed me off and I was yeah. really pissed at my assistants because they didn't do anything about it. I did because it happened during my radio show, and I saw it happen before my eyes. And I got done with my radio show, and I went straight up to him, and I didn't scream and yell. I just made it be known that you shouldn't be having this conversation. And 
I went home that night. I slept on it. Next morning, I called the guy, and it wasn't a pleasant conversation. I can tell you that. <laughs> it wasn't it had good. to be had, you know, and because yeah. you ha- you have to you have to stick up for your your team and your program. And if you feel like you've been slighted or you've been, you know, uh, disrespected or whatever the case may be, you know, there's times to to stand up. But uh, so yeah, it has it hasn't happened very often, but it has happened. I always wonder, you know, last one I recruited, I, I always wonder on this, if a kid verbally commits, Tad, a kid you've been recruiting hard, um, and, and and you read where he verbally commits to another university, is it still fair game as it used to be to continue to recruit that kid hard and try to sway him? <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's, that's really interesting because I think I'm not a football coach, I'm a basketball coach. It right. seems to me like in college basketball, it doesn't that doesn't mean it's always the case. But basketball coaches, by and large, if if a kid verbally we're recruiting a kid and he commits to, and I'll use KJ Simpson as a great example because this happened okay. with KJ Simpson. KJ Simpson, we're recruiting him hard. Uh, so other Pac-12 schools are recruiting him hard. He decides he's going to go to Arizona. He's going to sign in Arizona. Well, you know. When he makes his commitment, his verbal commitment to Arizona, I called KJ and his family and said, hey, listen, congratulations. We're sorry we didn't get you. You know, we wish you the best. If anything ever changes down the road, especially now with the transfer report, right, um, you know, let us know. But um, we won't be contacting you from this point forward, and, and uh, we wish you the best. And leave it at that, right? Right, um, and that's how that's how we handle it at Colorado. That's that doesn't mean that's how everybody handles it. I mean, there's coaches that say, you know, I love when kids verbally commit because now I know who my competition is, right? <laughs> and <laughs> football coaches, I don't know how they. I mean, the verbal commitments in football don't mean a thing. Yeah. Other than that's who you got to beat. I mean, because they don't they don't stop, and and so uh, that's I don't know what the verbal commitment meant. Uh, but, uh, for, for the most part, it's, it, they stick in basketball for whatever reason. Not always, but, you know, obviously there was a coaching change at Arizona. KJ Simpson, his family reopened his recruitment and we were fortunate enough to get him. And I believe one of the, re- I know one of the reasons we got him because KJ and his family told me was because how we handled the, you know, uh, the situation when he did commit to Arizona, because not every school handled it that way. Well, as you well know, Tad, in football, they keep recruiting kids until the fax machine cranks one, you know, to the whatever football office the kid finally determines is where he's going to go. So, yeah, and 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 Drew, unfortunately, with the transfer portal, they're recruiting people are recruiting players off of rosters right now as we speak. And they called it tampering. Very difficult to prove tampering, but tampering is going on. And to think it isn't would be very, very naive. So now it doesn't even stop with the fax machine and the letter of intent. It continues on until that kid graduates or, or you know, <laughs> uh, is out of eligibility. And it's, it's, uh, that's why you, you just have to, to me, you just, you do things the right way. You handle business the right way. You're honest and transparent with people. You build deep, meaningful relationships with the kids and the families that you're coaching. And if you do that, good things will happen. Um, and I really believe that. Karma, you know, yeah. the, old, the, old, the old thing, karma's a bitch. And 
and and uh, karma can can uh, help you in many ways as well. I, I really believe that. Well, you've always done that. I'll let you fly on this one, Ted. Is it more gratifying for you as a longtime coach and a, and a successful one to coach a youngish team like you have right now and seeing them grow, as we were discussing earlier? or a more veteran team like you had last year and, and a team that was able to, you know, get in the NCAAs and do some damage there, which is more gratifying? <laughs> you know, they both are. But, I, you know, the, the, the young guys, watching young people grow and learn is, to me, what coaching is all about. It's really enjoyable to see that happen. Um, you know, last year we were expected to win, and, we, you know, there was a lot more pressure on our team last year to win. And that, that, that can wear on you as a coach. And it can wear on your team. And, and that's the other thing that I think people forget in today's day and age with social media, the pressure that's not on. You know, we know pressure's on coaches. It always has been. It always will be. But it's really trickling down to players now, too. And uh, But I would say, to answer your question, probably more gratifying to see a young team kind of grow up like this one has before your eyes. Um, obviously, I'd rather be playing in the NCAA tournament. Uh, battling to go to a Sweet 16, competing for a conference championship, you know, like we did last year. But that doesn't mean we can't this year. Look, this year's team, we still got three games left. We got a conference tournament. So, um, uh, to me, you just you just keep grinding. That's what you got to do. But but to see young teams grow up like this one has, is, is it's awful hard to beat that. Yeah, it's been fun to watch uh, from afar. Tad, best of luck, obviously, this week and and the rest of the way, uh, as always, man. Thanks, Drew. Always good to be with you, man. Tad's terrific, and you can tell. I mean, not just with the words, but just kind of listening to the energy he has. He's really enjoying coaching this group. Talked about how tight-knit a group they are and how they're getting better in front of his eyes. And there's a couple of guys that are sitting out that were part of that, uh, one of the top-ranked recruiting classes uh, from a year ago that you know are going to have a nice impact going forward next year. Um, And and there's probably going to be more opportunity, especially if Jabari Walker decides to leave after this is sophomore year and test the uh, NBA waters. Very quickly, a couple other things. One basketball-related, one baseball-related. The NBA had its all-star game. You noticed that. And Nikola Jokic was front and center, as he should be. Now a four-time all-star, reigning MVP, having another MVP-caliber season. And we know this to be true, that players and sometimes teams don't get their full due here in the lost time zone. And there was some guy, and it's not even worth me looking up who it was, who was pontificating how, you know, Jokic is a tremendous player, but he's, you know, he's not among the super elite, or I forget what his argument was, because he was not in the game in the fourth quarter for Monty Williams in the All-Star game. Didn't play at all. Hello. It is an exhibition. It is an exhibition where no defense is played. And he suggested that he wasn't in there because, you know, he's not a great defender, even though the metrics suggest otherwise this year. It is an exhibition and not a very good one at that. Just about, hey, let's let's see who can get their shot up and uh, that sort of thing. So when I hear that, it just like all of you, it just ticks me off because Jokic has been unbelievable again. And there's not a player in the league, from Kevin Durant to Steph Curry, 
that doesn't realize that, does not recognize that, and wouldn't want him on the court with them because guess what? As good a scorer as he is, as good a rebounder as he is, as improved a defender as he is, if you're open, he's going to find you in the shooting pocket. So enough rubbish about Jokic. All right. Last thing, uh, baseball, we know it's been frustrating because they're at an impasse. Hopefully next week when we gather, we'll be able to talk about how it's over and spring training is going to get going and we can really get excited about that. But the only kind of baseball I can get excited about right now is college baseball. High school baseball also. We've been you know, working away as every team in cold weather states are doing, oftentimes indoors. But you know, I was in Memphis watching my uh, one of my boys play this past weekend. I love college baseball. It's such good baseball. Um, you, you know how we, we love the energy of, of college basketball? Sometimes juxtaposed against the NBA, it's like another game for for players in the NBA, and those guys are the best in the world. I'm not suggesting otherwise, but you know, there's there's a great passion played that that the college basketball games played um, with, and it's the same thing in college baseball. And for many of you that maybe have not dabbled in college baseball, really at any level, you're going to be pleasantly surprised to see how good the games are, how good the players are how entertaining it is, and there's less, not saying there aren't strikeouts, but there's less of that. There's more strategic play. It's played at a really good clip, and do yourself a favor, whether it's on a stream or you can find it, you know, when it's televised, watch college baseball. It's great. It's great. Great energy, great enthusiasm, And there's a ton of really talented players and teams out there, again, at all levels. So I'll leave you with that. Again, a reminder, check out uh, Patrick Lyons on the Rockies DNVR podcast on a daily basis. And keep your fingers crossed. We can get this thing uh, settled between the uh, owners and the Players Association. Big thanks again to Tad Boyle. Uh, We'll do it again next week, as we always do. Tell your friends uh, about our little podcast here. Thanks again. Stay safe. Stay well. Talk to you next week.